Hi, I'm Peter Malcolmson, editor of OnTennis.ca, the official online publication of the Ontario Tennis Association. Today's On Tennis podcast guest is Canada's most successful tennis coach, Rob Steckley. Rob coached top five WTA player Lucy Safarova and Canadian next-gen star Denis Shapovalov. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for being a guest on the On Tennis podcast series. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Rob, you've had a pretty interesting career so far, um, from an elite tennis player to an elite WTA ATP coach and everything in between. Yes. So, so um, let's go back to the beginning. Where, where did this tennis thing begin with you? Where, when did you start tennis? Where? And give me the circumstances around that. Um, that's a good question. That's, oh, wow, i got to think about that for a sec. Um, I think it was in the family, you know, my dad's side, my, my uncle had played, um, my mom's, uh, cousin was a six time national champion, Richard Nakin. And, and so it was kind of in the family and, um, I'd picked up a racket maybe for the first time around eight. And I think I, I really kind of fell in love with it at the beginning, um, I now currently hate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, jokes aside, you know, yeah, I think it was love at first sight. I played a ton. I remember just hitting against the wall. I didn't really officially start any lessons or anything till I believe it was probably 11. So sort I'd of been a late start compared to some yeah, of the super kids, right? late. Yeah, yeah, super late. And um, so you you were ra- you were raised in Thornhill. So um, what did you play at a club in that area? No, you know what? I started in North York. That's oh, actually, did? yeah, okay. I didn't move till till I was about 11 to Thornhill. Oh. So I'd spent earlier years in North York, and, and uh, that's kind of where my tennis began. I'll never, I'll never forget, my garage burnt down at the old house, and that freed up a brick wall, and I started hitting every day, all day on that damn wall. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, the wall tennis thing, you know. It's so a thing. People underrate it, but it's, Why it's a, uh, yeah. so many people from your generation and even older ones that's what they did well you know you know where it's still big europe is that right yeah you see that massive wall i actually a good friend of mine connor casey and i always uh joke about uh i was never being able to beat that wall i still haven't beaten it (laughs) (laughs) i'm still trying to figure it out so you didn't start till 11 but who who was you have a recollection of who your first coach was yeah you know what i showed up in a pair of winter boots with daniel nesser's brother Sasha. Yeah. Or Alex. Alex. And he told me to get off the course. <laughs> <laughs> and I was terrified of him. And that's a true story. And and Daniel and I still talk about it to to this day. You know, he you know, he kinda almost pushed me out of tennis. Uh but he was in Thor- th- North York. Right, in yeah. in the bubble and, and uh yeah, and I kinda started there. And, and then Ishtvan Toth was my primary coach you know, through my junior years and whatnot. But, I mean, I'd work with none other than, you know, Glenn, who's sitting right here. I've worked with so oh, many. Producer Glenn for yeah, the uh, Mayfair that's it. Uh, program, that's it. I guess. Pro, yeah, we went to, we did a tour in Florida. Uh, I've worked with everybody. I've had the privilege of learning from everybody. Let me put it that way. Excellent. Um, do you remember your first OTA junior tournament? Mm, my God. There's some good ones left field here. Um, no, not at all. I, you know what? You remember playing yeah. in the OTA? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Super early, super early. The earliest recollection I have of playing 
would be one of the Mayfairs, whether it was like a lakeshore or something, and me just getting my ass handed to me, O and O, by I think it was Matt Scott or something. But it just getting beaten down. Of course, I was crying. I was told I wasn't good enough, and I'm going well, through therapy now. Obviously, things kind of changed in the next couple of years. When when do you think um, Tennis Canada first took notice of you? Because obviously, you went on to be an elite Canadian player. A couple of years after I basically started playing tournaments. So at 12, I started, and then at 14, I was already, uh, I think I got as high as one in Ontario, and then um, and then was started playing nationals right away. So it right. took me a couple of years to kind of climb, which was, I guess, cons- now thinking about it, it, was pretty fast. Yeah, no um, kidding, yeah. Yeah, and then Tennis Canada, it put me in, um, or on their radar, and then 15, I went to International Tennis Academy, uh, which was in Delray Beach. That was kind of like a f- my first sponsorship type thing when oh, I was okay. at the ed- end of 15. So you, so you actually stayed down there, like lived down there? Yeah, I was living down there. <laughs> yeah, again, for about three months until I was kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> Which, hey, well, listen, we're talking about the past here. This is the beauty of I can be totally honest because I've turned it around. Definitely. And once we get to the current, we'll be there. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you did some international touring ITF tournaments as a junior, and I guess with the, with the help of Tennis Canada and that sort of thing. And then um, and then I guess uh, you went to uh, U.S. college for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I went to two colleges, actually. I went to University of South Carolina, um, and then I just dropped out. I stopped tennis for two years, um, and I had had it, and I never thought I'd actually get back in the sport. And... Um, I kind of hit rock bottom and then and got another opportunity. Actually, I, you know, did some soul searching. And, uh, yeah, I got an opportunity to go back to a college, which was in South Carolina. Uh, and then that's kind of where it all began. That's where I started my climb back to, uh, back to where I am now. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, you probably played your first pro tournament, I guess, maybe around 97 or 98, and you were pretty young still. I think you were like 17 or 18. Yeah, you were six, doing some ITF. And yeah, I was, you know, well, the satellites. Satellites. Yeah, so right, I remember, yeah. yeah, there was my first satellite was when I was about 16 or 17, but yeah, and uh, in the summer, uh, probably about 16, and, and uh, I'd picked up a point, uh, but, you know, you had to win, go through four weeks of playing to get one point. And yeah, it was tough. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was it's tough. tough now, but, I mean, it was uh, there wasn't a lot of money in the game, and uh, it was always that pressure. of You knew you were talented, but there was a whole bunch of other guys who was hungry that week. I mean, it was probably tough times, but, it, uh, you know, great uh, sort of character building as, as yeah. far as your game yeah, is yeah, concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I only have fond memories of, of playing all those circuits and stuff, and you meet great great people and, and, and many of them which became great today, you know, and are, are actually still currently playing. So, um, yeah, it's all good memories and, and I think it's all character building. Yeah, and you certainly, you climbed up and uh, got into the top 500. So, I mean, you, you were definitely at the show for a while and played some very good players along the way. Um, just talked a little bit about those days. I remember seeing you actually at I think at the Rogers Cup in Montreal, you had an epic match on uh, one of the either the center court or the side court, and, and there was some, you know, they were pretty heady days, I would think. Yeah, I, yeah, there are, that that was a point in my career where I had turned things around. So that was my mid twenties, I'd say. But but um, yeah, my earlier twenties, I was really inconsistent. I mean, I think I had played better tennis back then, but I just had no head on my shoulders, you know, and right. and I just wasn't in a good headspace, and like most people, they get lost. And so when I had come back, and that, I think that match you were talking about was against Kenneth Carlson. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, 
yeah, I remember it was a great match, good physical battle, and and but that slight doubt got me in trouble, and and I ended up losing that match. But um, yeah, in in, in my mid twenties and, and later on, yeah, I played for a couple of years, but my desire wasn't to become the best anymore. It was just to to really prove to myself that I could actually play those types of matches, but to do it consistently wasn't something that I was interested in. Right. It was just more about, uh, yeah, making sure that I knew that, you know, I'm in the right headspace yeah. now. Well, I think, um, I mean, you mentioned that that match in particular was physical, but I mean, you've always been a, a player that really valued fitness. I mean, I think mm -hmm. you're the gym rat and you're always in the best of shape. And I think uh, as well in those days, you were probably observing some of the other coaches and that sort of thing and i guess you had your own coaches so uh, was there was there start of a transition from the playing days or were you starting to think about coaching around that time yeah funny enough uh, you know going through that transition where i went back to school and, and and going to school at that point was um an opportunity for me because nobody owed me anything anymore and that finally made sense and so when i had done that i owed so much to everybody that was just around me and so, you know, I thought to myself after, you know, I guess reflecting and, and helping others so much, by the time I got to my, you know, it was about 26, 27, I'd naturally already been coaching for several years and, and without really knowing that I was actually a coach, you know, but I was just playing at the same time. And, and so I was like self-coaching myself, but really helping others and, and, whether it was on tour or, or off, um, I was actually having success because, you know, uh, I really enjoyed it and, and it was becoming a passion. I really enjoyed sharing knowledge and, and, and kind of helping others that way. So um, I made the decision about 27 that I, I just didn't have the desire to put forth the effort needed from my own career. And it was best that I channeled that into coaching. Right. And yeah. And then, yeah, I think um, I think you basically sort of started off, I guess, Tennis Canada approached you about um, coaching some uh, Canadian players. Uh. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tell you a story here yeah. because I remember being super confused, like a lot of coaches or, or let's say players right after they finish their career. Um, it's what am I going to do next? So if you're fortunate enough to figure out that you want to do tennis now, that's where I was faced where it's, well, now you got what type of coaching, you know, who, what type of coach am I going to be? Am I going to be uh, a rec coach, uh, high performance? What type of high performance? Is it tour? Is it uh, juniors? Um, am I going to be country club? So I was, you know, in a meeting, I remember with Debbie Kirkwood, and she had presented a bunch of scenarios for me, and <laughs> I was overwhelmed. I remember thinking, I have no clue what kind of coaching I'm going to get myself into because I had only done high performance. But then you start thinking, well, it's, if it's high performance, do I want to travel? I just stop because I don't want to travel anymore. And then you're thinking if it's country club, well, now I got to learn how to be this socialite, you know, and it's a whole different ball game. Am I good enough or do I see myself doing that for the next 40 years and enjoying it? I don't know. So um, naturally, Tennis Canada kind of approached, uh, and I was working under Bob Brett. And then that transition happened organically where 
I had gone to Montreal, and one thing led to another. I got an opportunity right away, pretty much, to work with uh, Wozniak, who I still adore. And I think she's here, actually, doing her coaching. That's true, yeah. 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 Funny enough. But, yeah, we started working, and we hit it off right away, and we did well. I, mean, I think we made the finals the first week, um, not because of my coaching, but just, you know, developing that relationship right away off the off the start, I felt natural in that environment and that was a place that I finally said to myself you know what you know I I understand where I should be it should be the tour and, and that's just something that a speed that I, I work at and operate and, and it wasn't a hard decision you know right. I mean yeah you had um, early success obviously with Wozniak I mean she got to 21 in the world I think uh, mm-hmm. when, when you were yeah, coaching yeah. her um, I think, did you coach Heidi Altebach for a bit? I did right after, I believe it was immediately following uh, Alex. Okay. I'd worked with Heidi for a few months. Right, and then um, I think uh, Sanya Mirza. It was Sanya Mirza. Um, I did Edina Galovitz. Um, who else did I do? Lucy. Yeah. We'll yeah. Talk a little bit about Lucy. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, I was, uh, that was a really interesting time. I mean, um, I don't think a Canadian coach had really had that measure of success. You hooked up with Lucy, and immediately she started having great results. Um, you know, we as tennis fans could see that there was a great chemistry between you, a professional chemistry in terms of coaching and, mm. and get, getting the most out of her game. And, of course, um, she had tremendous results uh, in the time she spent with you, going to, I guess, Wimbledon semis, French final, winning some doubles majors. Yeah. All of a sudden, your world must have changed as well as hers. Yeah, well, you know, that that's... Uh, I think the most impressive thing about tennis is you don't realize how much you're learning until you've gone through it. And I think, I don't even think I was really ready for the challenge and and really expected that much um, because I hadn't gone through it. But I did believe in myself and, and just, you know, my experience and through the years of, you know, challenging myself and being through so much that uh, when I got the opportunity to work with Lucy, it wasn't as if I went in saying, yeah, yeah, I got this. I went in just day to day trying to figure out how I can relate best to to my player as I always do. And then, you know, trying to figure out how to navigate that ship. And I just was fortunate it was the right time at the right place. And so coming out of that, you know, looking back, we both taught each other so much. I owe her so much. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been able to take Dennis on. And, you know, that kind of segued into a whole new era for me of, of belief. And, you know, I think true story is even while I was going through that uh, challenge, you know, and, and coaching experience with her, she was making me believe more and more about what I was doing because she was so honest and genuine with how she felt, which I find, you know, you don't get that opportunity to work with a player that's just that honest saying, you are the reason why I am doing this. And I would question myself, I, am I really, what is she talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, yeah, from, from the outside looking in, uh, she seemed to have a different personality than a lot of the WTA pros. I mean, she seemed to be um, more receptive perhaps and, and more, friendly and open and that sort of thing. And, and it just seemed that there was a great chemistry. Uh, I would say that not uh, not all the pros uh, on the WT2 no. are like that, but you've had to navigate through 
a few of the of the female pros. Tell, talk talk to us in general terms about uh, WTA coaching and maybe how it uh, differs from from ATP coaching. I mean, if you're a great coach, I don't think there is a tremendous difference. I think there's, um, you know, certain things you have to focus on a little bit uh, more than others. For example, with the girls, they they expect, they, they really enjoy spending more time talking about what's going on. So you have to be a lot more open. Communication is key, I think, on both men and women. But um, you, ha- you have to go into more detail. You really have to have a few answers for the one question. Um, and then you pick which one suits uh, best. And with the guys, uh, it's m- more c- clear cut. You just got to be straight to the point. Um, with the new generation, I think that there is an element of explanation and you always need to have a direction of where you're going, your thoughts of why uh, and where you, and where this is going, you know, a month from now, three months. But I'll just say this. With Dennis, you don't have to talk any more than 10 seconds. Otherwise, you see the kid tune out. So right. you got 10 seconds. Whereas you could keep somebody like Lucy there for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we get another court, please? We're gonna have to. We're taking more time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting difference. I think it may be a, a security issue, or um, yeah, you know, I think women are just wired different. But you know, and it, and it's a good thing. That's why I really enjoy working with uh, the WTA. I love working with the men. It's it's just a, you know, like I said, it brings me back to the beginning where it's as long as you're a good coach and you can flop back and forth between personalities um, then it shouldn't be a problem you know you just have to make sure that the individual you're working with uh, is catered to you know and emotionally physically you got to make sure that you know all components and and just being able to relate I think that's one of my my uh, strengths is just being able to relate with age because I'm not too far off, and I've gone through so much, through many mistakes, right? And I've just turned them into a learning curve for me, and and that's something that, you know, as as a leader, you have to have answers. So I've already gone down so many roads that it's it's just relating whether, you know. Yeah, I've noted that you seem to rate re, um, relate to them on a human element like it's it is emotional and that sort of thing but um the modern sports coaching acumen now talks a lot about statistics and analytics yeah. what mm-hmm. what's um what's going on in on the t- at the top levels of the tour and that end of things and are well, you, that's a is great that something qu- you embrace as well that's a great question um that's another thing on i used statistics analytics um but not to the extent that I did with Dennis. Um, we really, d- you know, that's a, that's a, something that you really have to tackle. And so having the opportunity now to work with Dennis, um, you, you also need to know the game plan inside and out. Now, there's a, you know, there's a way to go about it because you can't sit down with, with the player and confuse them, right? So it's it's... It's digesting all the numbers, really understanding the format of things, your, the opponent you're playing, even going 
step further is understanding what their coach, because analytics at, at, at this time now is readily available pretty much to everybody, especially if you have that type of funding. Um, so going into matches, and I'll speak just on Dennis's uh, time spent, we did a lot of thinking about what the other coach is planning. So that's where, you know, I'd sit down and, and I'd go through match footage of the opponent. Then I'd start to check out recent matches of what Dennis would be doing. I'd definitely shop around. Um, and then I'd get all my inf info from, you know, Tennis Canada, and we'd have all the numbers and stats. And then, you know, that is, is something that I used much more than I did with any of my WTA players right. because, you know, even though I would do my research, you're not telling them. But what I did with Dennis was sit him down a little bit and definitely sh show the sides favored numbers that would kind of match with what we were talking about. Yep. And so that's a thing. On, and, and, and it's kind of trickling into the WTA because I know that, you know, analytic teams have approached me and saying like they, they're, they're a little bit inside the WTA, but it's ATP. So is that how it works? They, there's literally um, organizations out there that oh, will yeah. provide the private. analytics for yeah, it. Private. The, the pro will pay for it and coaches uh -huh. and so on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and so it's really in-depth. It's not just like serving percentage. It goes well beyond that. I no, you, you go into even, even down to pattern, movement patterns, percentages, where he's likely favoring, where he's weak, uh, just anything you can break. Basically, here's the way I had it set up is the way my brain works and then I just want exactly how I would break down a player and figure out how to break this guy down. Um, and then you just express what type of uh, percentages you're looking for. So what I, uh, what I found um, really important was to find out, um, you know, let's say somebody's higher service percentages through the T. Now, if you match that ball going down the line, what are his percentages on the second ball? Um, likelihood as opposed to if you shift it to the deuce side um, going inside out and what the numbers and where he goes the second ball but then getting graphs where you'll see the heights of different types of balls so you can really go into as much depth as you want like it's it's pretty much limitless and so just yeah just being able to think outside the box at your opponent you know and then understanding of course what your player's game style is and match it up so there's a lot of thinking that's yeah. what a coach is i mean, it's just I mean you sp it sounds like you spend you know as much time you spend on court with uh, drills and so on you got to do, do your homework and then maybe a couple of hours of analyzing the, yeah. the analytics for an upcoming match and then you as you said earlier you have to distill it down to 10 seconds yeah, and you make, gotta, it, make yeah. a sense to the kid because you don't really want to fill their head with too much no and that's that and and of course i'm still in the learning process i think i don't know a coach that has ever said they know the formula exactly. Um, and that's the beauty of, of just growing on tour with each player. You just learn constantly. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't think that I've ever really spent a day where it looks on, on Instagram like we're just having the best time ever. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't know where I find the time to actually do the fun videos that I do and to break it up. Because truth is, is I'm going for meetings because at the end of the day, I want to know how to win those matches, how to get those numbers in the right place. What am I doing? So I'm constantly, that is my day. I just chose when I do videos to take 
the sugar-coated side. So that is my escape. That's my, my way out. But I could easily bore you to death with videos on analytics and, and what I do, and you know, but right. that's for other people and, and I guess, well, Tennis Channel to cover. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great segue because I was actually going to start to ask you about stuff like that because, um, you know, besides the, the on-court time and analytics, th- there's an awful lot of opportunities traveling the world and all these great cities and countries and, and just living the life of, you know, like enjoying all the different things that life has to offer, um, keeping in mind that you have to go to work most days. But um, you've definitely developed an interest in um, in videoing and the whole social media world. And um, so tell us a little bit about, how, you know, your interest in that area and um, particularly about your uh, company called Tennis Cool and, and the sort of uh, reasoning behind that. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, it it dates back to when I was a little child. <laughs> it's like I was constantly told by everybody. I think Glenn, uh, you know, he's sitting in the room. He doesn't have a microphone, but just nod if you said I was thinking maybe at some point you thought that I was in space. Yeah, okay, so that's a yes. <laughs> no, you know what? I was always told, you know, stop daydreaming, even while I was out on court, even when I was working hard. It just I had that ability to constantly daydream or, or just whatever it is. And later I found out, fast forward, it's called being creative. So I was always told that's not a thing, you know? How dare you daydream? You're not serious. And I was so confused as a kid. And then later when I went into university, I found out that that's what I was good at. It wasn't, you know, mathematics. That's what calculators are for. (laughs) (laughs) But the creative side was what I naturally, you know, was into. And so I just ended up really following my heart and and grabbing a camera. And luckily for me, I was on the, the edge of, you know, the the cell phone camera days and and I remember picking up the very first uh, video cell phone camera when it first came out and I just had access to a camera and then I mean I was horrible at the beginning but I was going through school and and I was taking pictures and and it just it was an an ongoing process so I've been doing this for years and I mean my first videos are gut-wrenchingly awful like I look back and it's just brutal but you know Right now, it, it, it's a way to enjoy what is the chaos in my, my mind. It, it's just, you know, and I, I, I could tell you honestly that I only put the good, the good vibes out there. I have a lot of crazy stuff, and I don't have the time for it, but it's, it's just one of those things. It's an outlet for me. Yeah, so well, I, you, you seem to have got some of the uh, pro players to buy into it as well, like particularly Lucy and Bettany Maddox yeah. Sands, and you guys put out some really clever... Uh, uh, pieces a few a couple of years ago but um they were willing accomplices let's put it that way well you know what the, it's it's today's day and age i mean as much time as most people focus on the on court there's the off court aspect and and let's face it i mean it's it's a thing you know social media is a thing as important as you winning tennis matches now this doesn't go to say that that's what somebody needs to be doing at 15, even though you know that that's what they're consumed in. Um, but, you know, I'm fortunate that I've bypassed that. I'm working with the elite level of athlete. Um, and so it's as important. You go to practice, you do that. You need to snap a pick and decide which one you're posting in order to please the 
the uh, the fans uh, to please the sponsors. And so for me, uh, I just found an opportunity again where my strength is to daydream, you know. And so when I'm on the court, I'm dialed in. I'm working with my player. The second we're done, I'm dialed in on trying to figure out how to please everything else. And so that's, you know, my package is I'll do the on and off court, you know, and it just, and so, you know, there's a time and place, of course, and it's not constantly always, you know, thinking about how to be creative, but um, that is the reality of the situation. It's, It's just... Th- th- it's a job on and off court. Yeah. So, you know, it, it helps, you know, with my players just from the chaos and the madness, w- it just an opportunity to step away and enjoy. I mean, you put me with, you know, I don't know who has no sense of humor, but if, if that player comes and asks me to play, I don't think I'd be trying to get them to open up as much and, and get on camera, you know, if that's not the thing. But I've just been fortunate where I've always worked with people that that's what they want to do. It's yeah. not what I'm like. This is what I think you I'm put them at ease as well. Obviously, well, with your course. style, right? So I mean, and it's confidence boosting. It's yeah. it's it's like a personality building, building character, uh, feeling comfortable when you're uncomfortable in those scenarios. It helps you on and off court tremendously. I mean, it, Lucy is a perf- prime example of 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 her when we first met literally couldn't look at me in the eyes. Uh, that's how low her confidence, self-esteem type thing was when she was interacting with people and just made it, you know, a thing that, mom, not, I don't like him, I don't like anything. It's, you know, and, and so you get to 30 in the world. And then if you want to be five in the world, you better believe that you better be comfortable being in the biggest tournaments in the world and being out there like this. And so... You know, little by little, it just gave her this little extra belief that I could kind of be myself a little bit more without fear of judgment. And and just like little things like that over time built into this person that she is now where she's just totally comfortable with her skin. And that's it. Yeah, you know, no, I, I, you could see you could see the growth and through through watching your your videos, your early ones versus some of the later ones. Like she, she seemed like a different personality. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say the social media thing, like for the young up and coming ones, um, you know, they're always, I mean, their cell phones are best friend. I think mo- most of the tour players is like that though, because I mean, it is a yeah, lonely yeah. life, right? And I'll tell you one thing. The, you won't catch a single player on tour that I know of that doesn't check their phone all day. I mean, it's just, it's, it goes hand in hand. You need water to survive. You need water. You need a cell. You need a cell phone. Like that. That's just the reality of it. I, I talk to so many people who have mixed messages on this, and it's. I'm going to stand on my. You know, stand my ground where I. I speak. I don't think that cell phones are going to disappear. I only think they're going to become a, just a bigger entity, and ingrained in what we do day to day, and. I don't mind that, you know? It's just understanding how the kids operate at a young level and getting them to focus. And, and, and I've had success with young kids, you know, when I give them a two-hour special of, like, you're going to work with me for two hours. I don't expect two full hours if that child cannot give me two hours just because the parents say, no, I'm paying for two hours. Listen, if you can give me an hour 45 minutes and for some reason 
you're going to give me 100% of that one hour and 45 minutes and the 15 minutes of video or whatever we're going to do gets you to do that, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. You so know, it's, it's, uh, social media is a coaching tool. I, t- to me, it is. That's, that's my whole thing. It's, it's, you know, but it's at the end of the day to get that player to become their best. So it's not a distraction to lead them into, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm just going to sit on the couch. Like, that's not my objective. I try to, I, I, I work my butt off all day, every day. I've just kind of understand the flow of things. So it's, you know, and, and if, and if I had access to people like that when I was growing up where they actually understood how to control Rob Steckley and harness that, I, w- I would 100% be a different type of person. But being told, you know, on a daily that it's like, no, you're not serious enough. You'd say, Why don't you get me to get serious for that hour and 45? If I start drifting, figure out how to get another five minutes. That's all I do with my players. Get another five minutes, another five minutes. If I really feel they're done, that's it. We're done. You know, it's like, and there's no, and, but I'm going to get them back as soon as I can to be doing more, and whether it's at the dinner table. And then if they shut off, that's it. We're going to talk and I can relate to uh, whatever subject you want. So that's the, the, the key is just yeah. keep it open and keep it coming. The information coming. Well, it sounds like you're sort of poising, you're, you're poised actually to, um, to coach the younger, like the, the younger and up and comers right now. I mean, um, obviously, uh, the Canadian tennis scene right now is rife with good players, including Dennis, who you've spent some time coaching with. What, what do you think of the uh, Canadian tennis scene right now uh, and compare it? the support they get as young athletes to your days, which wasn't that long ago. Well, oh, it seems like it's ages ago. I, there was no funding back in the day. And if there was some sort of funding, you had to be 10 in the world. You know, it, I mean, I'm just throwing a number, but I remember the criteria was like, if you wanted some sort of, you know, $10,000 or something like that, you had to be 200 at 18 which we had nothing to measure that back then because there was nobody that was there. So we had no idea. So it was just like almost impossible to achieve. You know, that's coming from the juniors I was growing up with in Canada. I don't know about worldwide, but um, it just seemed like this great mountain to climb. And nowadays, because we've had, you know, the pleasure of having Milos and Dennis and all these great players, you know, Eugenie, uh, and Wozniak, when I was working, she was one of the first to really crack. And, and, and so that set the, the bar. So uh, so I think, I think the young ones owe you a debt of gratitude for uh, <laughs> cutting, their, you know, cutting the ground back in the day when you, you, know, you had to do it the hard it, way. It, it wasn't just me. I tell you, I mean, you always hear these stories. You know, when I was younger, <laughs> I'd grow, you know, walk in the snowstorm just to get a carton of milk. Like that, that, that pretty much was you know, the way it was, and, yeah. and every generation has its thing. Um, just fortunately, now the kids have a lot more access. And I think, you know, we have to appreciate, and a lot of young kids, just with that social media, that, that is the downfall of things, uh, or the slight negative tone to things, is there's access too quick, and, and things are too easy and simple. And I think that that fight is becoming a little too unfamiliar with a lot of kids now Uh, and so i you know that's where it gets interesting like how how do you challenge you know challenge them to become hungry all the time so 
you know, you'll never hear me say like, well, back in the day when I, <laughs> it's not back in the day, it's now. So for me, it's dealing with the current and I relate because I also tend to want things quick too. So it's like, I'm, I'm in the same trap. So, um, but, there, but anyways, I guess there is a fine line between the amount of support and the type of support for the, you know, the current generation well, of players here now, versus the hunger factor, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the support is, is here. It's, it's clear. It's and the coaching and tennis can has done great things. Uh, you know, uh, I can't say enough good things about what they've done and how they've changed. Um, and they're always, you know, I, I, I really respect what they've done because, you know, they've really always looking to turn things around and, and trying to reinvest their time and energy into building the programs. Um, and I think that I've heard just in the last few days, I forget who I was talking to, that they're really trying to look at the young generation, which I think is a, uh, an important thing because um, that's where the focus needs to be because I know that we, we've had some great players coming up, but who's at the grassroots at the moment? And I think that there can be um, some adi- new additions in, in, uh, on the team and, and the, I guess the structure of how to, how to organize that um, and some help. I think help because... Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think I think um, like every tennis playing nation in the world, and there's a lot, is producing good players. So the bar keeps getting raised. I mean, Tennis Canada, or, you know, USTA or whoever has to keep current, has to find you know new techniques for coaching, has new ways of support and that sort of thing. I mean, it's uh, to to get a player to Dennis's level or Bianca's. Uh, it's not just. It's not just the player. I mean, they, they're the most important element, but there's a whole support team, coaching, and, and uh, bo- governing bodies and, yeah. and so on that I think contribute to that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? I think credit to Tennis Canada and, and them venturing into finding help from other countries. Um, I think opening opening that door helped a lot. And and that's what I'm fortunate. That's why I love staying out on the road from day one. It's It's not getting stuck in a mindset where it's like this is the only way or this is all we know um being out on the road constantly having access to the greatest minds and traveling and constantly changing and shifting is is the way to go and i think that that's what um we've done well as a nation is kind of open that door let people come in and and we have the funds so they've done great things um and they always are looking to do more that i mean i've worked closely now for the last uh half year with with TC's team and, and Dennis and and I can't say enough good things I mean they at the touch of a button I send them a, a note on what I'm looking for or needing and Debbie's responding and going into the team and I have access to whatever I need and and it's huge huge yeah. I can't tell you how yeah. how important that is for our 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 youth and and the current players that are playing like if we have access to that because without that it comes out of your pocket and I also know what it's like to talk to private um, teams and stuff, and it is not cheap. <laughs> so you best be winning pretty much every tournament right. and right. have yeah. a massive budget for whatever you need. Otherwise, Tennis Canada's really uh, given all the players every opportunity they need, and the coaching. You know, I think it's also getting better as the coach because even with my job, I mean. I, I'm more of a contract type of guy, and I always like to stay like that. But I stay loyal to Tennis Canada and, and, and Canadian tennis, and that's my thing. But I also, I think over the years, they've understood that I also like to grow. So I work with other players 
I don't work with nations. I just work with other players, and then I bring that information back. Yeah. And so th I think that's one thing that they're also um, getting to to be more familiar with is is you know somebody like myself where it's like well yeah, I'm loyal. You know. Yeah, yeah. I would agree that their approach has definitely changed over the last ten years. I mean, mm -hmm. when Bob Brett first came in, I think that started it, and um, they've definitely opened up their eyes to gaining knowledge from mm -hmm. other countries and then having coaches like you come back and say, this is what I saw out there, which I think is great. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think it's really helped. And to your point, I think the younger, the 14, 15 year olds right now, there's a good crop in them, but I mean, they're, um, they're going to be up against it because every country's, you know, producing yeah. kids of, of that caliber. So I think the, it, the good news is that's good for the game. I mean, yeah. the, the level overall level looks like it's going up all the time. So mm -hmm. hopefully we'll keep pace. Um, so you just mentioned a lot about, uh, how, how much uh, time you spent on the road and uh, you're sitting sort of in a hiatus right now you're sp spending time with your family which I guess is great mm -hmm. and and, uh, and connecting what's next for Rob Steckley that's the that's the beauty of this I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I've I, I've actually planned to take time off um, I just want it to be all about family right now. I, I've gone, you know, back to back to back like these projects. Um, I've been consumed for the last two and a half years straight. Um, at my age now, you know, I'm a 39. I got two kids, a wife. You know, I'm very, uh, you know, very passionate about the sport and, and traveling. That's what I, I do best is, you know, tackle that. But in order to do that, you have to take some time and give back to your family. Because when I get consumed in, in, my project, I, I'm, I'm getting better at it, but I'm, I have a hard time being the best husband and father, because I, I at the end of the day, I want to win, and then the winning takes, uh, you know, priority, and so my family has gotten used to that, um, but it's it's, it's one thing to be the player and the star and sacrifice and then there's one thing to be the coach and right. to sacrifice you know you're not the star so you're you're there's a lot of elements that go into it so for me i'm i'm i've gotten to a point where i can gracefully say that I, i'm taking time off i i'm not going to work for you know question mark i don't know how long but my goal would be uh, or plan is to um work in in starting in, in end of july Okay. So I do the 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 summer swing, um, and then get into a new project right, right. there. I I right. just avoid the um, European thing. So I've kind of gone, you know, in the got to stay in the same same time zone or similar one. Anyway. Yeah, stay in the t you know. Currently, right now, I've just purchased a 1970 classic Coupe de Ville Cadillac, nice. and uh, I'll be cr you'll find me cruising in that <laughs> bad boy, that land yacht, and. <laughs> taking my kids to wonderland and you yes. know excellent and, yeah. and i guess you'll have a little more time for tennis cool and and yes. video projects and that sort of thing mm -hmm. any anything on the horizon we should be looking out for um you know what i was talking to my partner connor casey and we want to try to dive a little bit more into tennis cool to where we're, we're giving back a little bit more so um you know, there's been some talk of doing maybe um, some day functions where we're opening it up to youth and, and underprivileged tennis and trying to sponsor that type of thing um, and have a little bit more purpose. But 
our, our strengths, our content, um, and when I'm working with a player, it's trying to really set myself, ourself apart from the every other coach and player type of scenario. So, right. you know, and then, you know, and it's, it's like opportunities like this when I'm, I'm coming. This is what tennis cool is. It's, it's like you're getting a piece of tennis cool, even though we're not doing the content. It's, it's getting just what I know best. I don't sugarcoat things. I'm just, you know. I'm sure you'll pull another coach and you probably won't get the same type of answers. And that's what tennis cool is. It's this just is why we called on you first, Rob. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You know? <laughs> well, listen, you know what, Rob? Um, we really appreciate the time you spent with us. Uh, I really think the insights that you talked about, particularly in the coaching side, will be valuable to anybody who listens. Uh, we're hoping a lot of young up-and-coming players will listen and, and gain some insight. And we do wish you the best and uh, hope to have you back on again. Yes. So thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. 